What a way to start our service tonight. And uh, like Matt said, Shockey has a pretty incredible story where uh, uh, the family had gone through a really serious loss. And uh, sometimes through pain, we see God speak new things to our heart and our life. And we see new life happen tonight uh, through the grace. And what was neat about Shockey is this. Her family came up from Atlanta. And uh, this is Shockey Palacio's family down here. Can you just welcome them from Atlanta and let them know? We're grateful for you guys to be here and we celebrate. Uh, this is what we find out is God's heart is God is a God who celebrates. Uh, we find this in Luke chapter 15 that God, he celebrates in all things. He's saying, I'm after the lost sheep. I'm after the lost coin. I'm after the lost son. And what he wants to do every single time Jesus talks in that story is we celebrate. And that today's service is gonna be a little bit different. I'm gonna preach a little bit earlier in the service and then we're gonna take communion Then we're gonna celebrate at the end. We're going to sing a little bit more together tonight. It's going to be a great time. Uh, but I just want to celebrate a few things that God's doing. We know next weekend begins fall break and some of you will be out of town and we want you to have this on your heart and your mind. Uh, but next weekend we have 31 of our North Side family going down to Guatemala to rebuild and build new homes down there. And uh, we want you, uh, yeah, we can applaud for them and cheer them on. Make sure... Make sure you have that on your heart and your mind this week as they take off next weekend. Uh, there's adults, there's students, there's all sorts of things. You know, we're in the series about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls and, and God literally uses the handiwork rebuilding homes to bring his gospel to places, to bring his good news of Jesus to people who've never heard of him before. And this is the opportunity we have as the church family. Uh, another way that we get to worship God is through our generosity. Just wanna invite you to worship him in that way. We give back to him, not out of guilt or any of that stuff, but because we get to. And uh, there's boxes on the way out or there's giving ways on the screen. You can be a part of that. Uh, but I wanna invite you to something real special this Thursday. This Thursday night is our night of worship. And uh, it is gonna be an incredible time. We're gonna sing together. We got some great updates, some great things to pray about as a church family that God God has done, and I can't wait to be there. We do want you, if you're going to have kiddos with you, we do want you to RSVP. Don't worry if you're not bringing your kiddos, you don't have to RSVP, but if you are bringing kiddos, we want you to do that so we can have enough uh, workers here for you and you can enjoy the service that night. Uh, but this is the thing, God is saying, my people is going to be a people who celebrate. Matter of fact, that's why I'm wearing green for my Notre Dame Irish. And uh, we won today. Sorry if some of you were recording. You're like, daggone it, the pastor ruined it. I did, I know. But this is the thing. I came in here and I brought this shirt going, you know, I'm gonna change into it. And here's the thing. I didn't know if they were gonna win today or not. And all day I'm trying to practice my sermon and all this other stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, let's check the score, right? And, and I'm real nervous about it. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is this. When you walked in here today, you didn't have to worry about the victory. When you walked in here tonight, this is what you had to celebrate, that Jesus overcame death and sin through the power of the cross. And we came in here, I don't care what your week was like, maybe you have nothing good going on. Here's the thing you do have going good for you, is Jesus Christ. Man, the grace of God, it carries us through and we have something to celebrate today. That's why we're gonna celebrate this Thursday. And what we find at the end of Nehemiah is this, the last thing God does, he says, the blueprints for a rebuilding life is you and I learn to celebrate the goodness of God. That you and I have a God who loves us, who is rebuilding the broken things, not just broken walls that we find in Nehemiah, but the broken walls of our hearts and our lives. And he's bringing things back. Isaiah 53 says, by his wounds, we are what? You remember, I remember? We're healed. 
We're healed by his wounds. And what happens is here in Nehemiah chapter 12, they, they dedicate the walls, they finish the walls, and then God doesn't just say, now get back to work and rebuild this over here. He doesn't do that. He goes, calls a timeout, get everybody together. Not only do they have one choir, they have two choirs, right? You know what's better than one choir? Two choirs, right? And you know, that's what they do. They get everybody together. And listen to what it says. This is Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. It said, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and where they brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals and harps and lyres. They said, everybody get back together, man. God is doing a new work. You might've thought it was all over. You might've thought Jerusalem was dead for 141 years. It set lifeless. See, the good news about God is this. He brings dead things back to life. He redeems the things in our lives that we've let go. That we go, God, I can't bring that back. And he goes, I know my son Jesus is what you have to celebrate today. It goes on, it says this in verse 43. It says, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. Great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. You know what it looks like for you and I to allow God to rebuild our lives? It looks like this, that you and I learn the habit of celebration. See, here's the deal. What we celebrate, we cultivate in our life. What you celebrate, what you and I celebrate is what we cultivate in our life. This is why Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, ends with this massive celebration because God is saying this, you and I need to get good at celebrating things. Now here's the thing, we all love to celebrate things, don't we? We celebrate birthdays, we celebrate anniversaries, graduations, we don't call it a retirement funeral, we call it a retirement what? Party, man. It's not like, oh, you're done with work. I guess your life is going to be terrible. You're like, no, now life's ready to begin. And you throw a party. My only kind of caution is this. We might want to do a good job just maybe scaling back from those gender reveal parties. Like, like forest fires are happening because people are like blowing up things to reveal the gender. We might want to scale those parties back a little bit. But the discipline of celebration is important to you and I following God. That God is saying, Nehemiah, don't forget to celebrate what I did in your life. Sometimes that's where our relationship with Jesus goes dry. It's not that he needs to do new things in our life. But it's that you and I need to call a time out and be reminded and celebrate the good that he's already done. Jesus did that in Luke chapter 15. He got the tax collectors and the prostitutes together and he called the Pharisees together. He gets everybody together and he tells them the story. He tells him the story of the prodigal son and he ends the story for the younger brother. And what he was doing is this, he was telling the tax collectors and the prostitutes, today because of me, you have something to celebrate. But he looked at the, the Pharisees and the story from Luke chapter 15 about the older brother, Jesus doesn't end the story for them. He doesn't conclude it. You know why? What he was doing was this, he was telling the Pharisees, are you going to join the party or not? Are you going to celebrate me or not? See, the beautiful opportunity you and I have today is this, to celebrate the goodness, the resurrection of Jesus. Because what we celebrate, we begin to cultivate in our life. And God wants you and I to finish life well.
That's what he wants for you and I. He wants us to finish well. I had two friends this week who retired. Uh, one was a, a phenomenal leader. He still is a phenomenal leader in our church family here. He was one of the, uh, his family is one of the first families I knew when I moved here in 1999. Great godly man. His family loves Jesus. He retired from work this week. Uh, this, uh, at the end of this month, Dr. Neil Windham, who's on our staff, great man of God, is retiring at the end of this month. And here's what's neat about him. I'm looking at both these guys going, man, I hope I finish well like you. I hope I stay committed to my family like you stay committed to your family. I hope I raise my kids to love Jesus like you have raised your kids to love Jesus. I hope my life reflects that. The only question is this, what does it really look like for you and I to finish well? What does it look like for you and I at the end of our life to look back and go, that was it. See, if we're not careful and and if we don't take this discipline of celebration seriously, Here's what happens. We begin to drift. Do you ever realize this? You've never drifted into losing weight. At least I haven't. I've never drifted into shape. Man, I woke up. I got a six-pack. I don't know what happened, right? No, it's like I always go the other way, right? We don't drift into healthiness. We don't drift into a better relationship. What happens is this. We drift the other way. And what we're going to find here is it's actually kind of a sad story. Before we get to how you and I finish well, what we need to look at is this. The Israelites give us three ways not to finish well. Here in chapter 12, God throws this incredible party. He goes, it is so important for us to celebrate God and his work. But what happens is this. They begin to drift. And what we're going to see is this. Before it looks like what it what it really is for you and I to finish well, we need to look like what it looks like to not finish well. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. This is the first thing that the Israelites did that kept them from finishing well. It was this. They made the opinion of men more important than the wisdom of God. You know, I, I've never had anybody tell me this when I'm talking to him. I'm going, man, if I called a buddy, I called a buddy actually yesterday for just some wisdom and advice on some things. And, I, and, and you know what? He gave me great wisdom. I've never had anybody when I've asked them for wisdom in life to say, you know what you need to do, Nate? You need to get on Facebook. That's where all the wisdom is, right? Nobody's ever said that, right? That's not where you go. Y'all ever gone to WebMD like when you hurt your ankle or something? Right? I don't, don't do it. Right? You know, I remember I like sprained my ankle one time and I was like, I want to see how long I need to keep the ice pack on. Check WebMD. They're like, uh, your leg's going to be amputated. I'm like, it's just sprained. Right? And what happens is this. Everybody has all the wisdom out there. The only thing is this. All the wisdom out there isn't God's wisdom. What's sad is this. After this great celebration, they begin to drift And here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 6. Nehemiah, after he rebuilt the walls, he goes back to his job in Babylon and he comes back to check on them in Jerusalem to see how they're doing. And it says this in verse 6. It says, but while they were, uh, he says, but while all this was going on, I was in Jerusalem for the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. I had returned to there, and sometime later, I had asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. He's thinking the celebration of God is still on, that the choirs are still going. And this is what he finds. 
He said, when I came back, sometime later I asked his permission, and when I came back to Jerusalem, here I learned about the evil thing Elisha had done in providing Tobiah. And Tobiah was Nehemiah's greatest enemy. All throughout the book, Tobiah was his enemy, and what he finds is this, that Elisha, God's priest to his people, had given Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. He had let his enemy come into the temple and begin to provide him with wisdom. And he says, I was greatly displeased and I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Man, I love this about Nehemiah. He's like, get it out of here, man. He just starts chucking Tobiah's stuff. He says, I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put back into the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. See, here's what will happen if we're not careful. We'll want to finish well, but it matters who we listen to. It matters. When I was down at the pastor's conference two weeks ago, Dr. John Walker is a Christian psychologist. One of my mentors was speaking to about 60 of us pastors, and somebody asked him the question. He said, why are pastors and leaders struggling so hard during this season of COVID and leading through all this other stuff. And without missing a beat, he said, can I give you three things that I'm seeing leaders and pastors do that are not helping them to finish well? And he said this, one, they are overly trusting in their leadership skills. We're overly trusting in ourselves rather than the wisdom of God. Then he said this, we are being overly controlled by the circumstances that are going on around us. And then he said the last one was this, and we are overly listening to the opinions of others rather than the opinions of God. The opinions are out there, but so is the wisdom of God. And what happened in Nehemiah was this, Elisha, man, God's man, to lead the people, to be the priest, began to listen to the wisdom of Tobiah instead of the wisdom of God. And he begins to not finish well. Second thing we find is this, if you don't want to finish well, here's what you do. You ready? Make work your life. If you don't want to finish well, just make work your life. Don't turn off your phone, answer every text, even when you're out on a date with your spouse, right? Just check Twitter while your kid's talking to you. Don't pay attention to anything, right? Just keep your phone on, always be available 24-7 because why? Time is what? Money. So just make work your life. Now, some of you are like, what? No, nah, this is if you don't want to finish well, all right? If you don't want to finish well, make work your life. This is what begins to happen. Nehemiah comes back, and this is exactly what he finds in the life of the people of God. It says this in verse 15. It says, in those days I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and I said to them, what is this wicked thing you're doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. Didn't your forefathers do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. What Nehemiah says is this, guys, you're not finishing well because you're working seven days a week. And it's not just about work. What he was really calling out is this. All you're doing is chasing money. And when you and I only listen to the opinions of others, and when you and I only chase money, 
We're quickly on our way to not finishing well. Third thing we find here in Nehemiah chapter 13 is this. If you don't want to finish well, make sex the goal of your relationship. Some of you are like, now I'm paying attention. What? What did you say, Pastor? Right, you know? Literally, if you don't want to finish well, just use people. Just use people for what you can get from them. And you won't finish well. Nehemiah comes into this. He comes back. And what he finds in verse 23 is this. Moreover, it says, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language, language of Ashdod or the language of the other people and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. They didn't know how to speak Hebrew anymore. They didn't know how to speak the words of God anymore. And what happens is this. He says, so I rebuked them. I called down curses on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. How about that church discipline, right? You're like, whoa, man, right? He's pulled these guys. He's like, what are you doing? You know, ripping out pieces of their beard. He says, man, I I told him this. He said, "I, I told him, make an oath in God's name. You are not going to give your daughters a marriage to their sons, nor are you going to take their daughters a marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? And among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all of Israel, but even he was led into sin by foreign women. What Nehemiah was saying in this passage was this. It's not about that you can't marry somebody from a different race. What he was saying is this. It's not about race. It was about who you're worshiping. And what had happened is this. All they did was instead of pursuing God in the relationships, they just started pursuing what they wanted. As I was reading this passage, sometimes we do this. We, we, we read Old Testament or we read the Bible and we go, well, that was 1,500 years ago. That was a long time ago. It doesn't have anything to say to us today. You know what I found? Here were the observation. Here were the three things that they stumbled over and they did not finish well. Power, money, and sex. Now, I know that has nothing to do with our society today, right? Like, because none of us struggle with any of that. And nobody in the world, that is exactly what the world struggles with. See, when God goes to work rebuilding our life, he goes to rebuilding the things in our life that we can't rebuild ourselves. Here's the question for you and I today. We know what we celebrate is what we cultivate. And so I want to ask you this question. What do you want to cultivate in your life? What do you want to cultivate? What do you want said about you at your last day? What is the life that you want to have cultivated? I know right now there's words that are coming to your mind, generous, loving, kind, sacrificial, all these words you know you want to cultivate it. The thing is this, then we have to ask our question, then what are we celebrating? Because what we celebrate is what we cultivate. What our hearts are set on is the byproduct of the fruit that we will get in our lives. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to shift a little bit because what we find is this. Jesus comes into the picture and he begins to show us and guide us in the way of what does it look like to finish well. 
What does it look like to celebrate? And what happens is this, when we celebrate Jesus, we begin to cultivate the life of Jesus in us. When we lift up the name of Jesus, we see his spirit at work in our life. And those things that you want to cultivate and those things that I want to cultivate begin to come about. Man, I want to cultivate a rich relationship with God. I really want to listen to the Holy Spirit more than the opinions of myself. And I really want to love my wife well. Man, I really want to lead my children well. I want to be a great friend. I want to be a great pastor. And then Jesus just says this to me, Nate, if you'll just celebrate me, guess what the byproduct's going to be? You are going to be a great husband. Because you'll know me. And I'm the groom to the bride of Christ. And I laid my life down for the church. Nate, if you want to know what it is to be a good pastor, celebrate me because I am the high priest who saves you. Nate, if you want to be a great father, celebrate me because I obeyed my father, the father who loves you and wants to cultivate. See how celebration impacts every area of your life. I mean, your work, your, your friends, your words. What we find is this. Three ways for you and I to finish well. Three ways that Jesus wants us to join the party. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. First thing is this, make the word of God more, impor more important than the word of man. Make the word of God more important than the word of man. We see Jesus doing this with Peter, one of his best friends and one of his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. He tells Peter, he says, hey, Peter, who do the crowd say I am? Well, some say you're Jonah. Some say you're this. He goes, that's good. That's good. And then you remember the question he asked? Who do you say that I am? What's your opinion of me, Peter? He says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. What he was saying is this, God, I believe God sent you. And you're more important than any other voice in the world. Jesus says this, good for you, Peter. And upon that confession, I will build my church. Here's the good news for you and I today. We don't have to worry about building ourselves. All you and I need to do is this, worry about celebrating Jesus in every area of our life. And he will build his church. He will build you and I up. I found it fascinating that when Nehemiah showed up and he saw that the temple was being desecrated because Tobiah was in there and what he did, I love this, he took all of Tobiah's stuff and he threw it out of the temple. Guess who else cleared the temple? Jesus. When Jesus showed up, you know what he did? He saw all of God's people ripping off everybody else, charging people who didn't have anything, double, triple the price just to get rich. And he threw it out. He threw all the stuff out of there. He says, this will not be a den of robbers. My father's house will be a house of what? Anybody remember? Be a house of prayer. Here's the good news for you and I today is this. If you know there's some broken things in your heart and your life and your mind, Jesus has come to clean it out. Jesus says, I don't need you to try to clean out all that stuff. I just need you to allow me to clean that out. I need you to allow me to be the one who makes you clean. See, the temple was all about worship. You know, sometimes we come into church 
And, we, and somebody asked, well, hey, how was worship? Eh, it's okay. They didn't sing the song I wanted. Right? Hey, I've said it, right? I said that before. Oh, come on, man. I want this song, right? Like Sam's just a jukebox. A4, you know, whatever up here. And, you know, play this song or whatever, you know. And, and we try to do that stuff. Here's what I'm learning about worship. I had a guy say this at the last pastor's conference. This man totally convicted me. He said, we shouldn't come in and ask, how was the worship? What we should ask ourselves is this. How was my worship this week? Not how was the worship. How was my worship this week? How, how did I worship Jesus in that moment? How did I worship Jesus in that conversation? Did I speak the words of God or did I speak the words of men? How was my worship? See, this is where generosity and gratitude comes from. When we give our lives away, when we sacrifice, when we give back to God, when we lay it down, what we're doing is this. God, I'm worshiping you because I understand, God, your word comes before any other word in my life. And here's what happens. The more we walk in that, doesn't mean we won't go through hard things. But the more we'll see our lives finish well. Second thing we see is this, if we want to finish well, not only do we have the word of God become more important than the words of man, it's this, that we make our life's work, your life's work, my life's work about God's work in my life. That's a tongue twister, all right? I'm going to say it again, okay? That our life's work is about God's work in my life. Take that in for a second. Your life's work, my life's work, is about partnering with God to do his work. See, the beauty of this is this. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager here today. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO, a stay-at-home mom, a widow, retired. You know what we all share in common here in this place? We all are called to do God's work. This is the joy of doing this together. I was walking around the room getting to meet new people who were here for the first time. And what's the joy is this, is I'm looking at every single person and I'm looking at every single person thinking about this. God, what are you doing in, your, in their life? God, do they even have an idea, the work that you have for them? See, this is the joy of getting to be the church together. This is why when Nehemiah showed up and he saw him working on the Sabbath, it, we go, isn't that one of those Ten Commandments? Isn't that one of those old things? Ten Commandments don't matter more. Why is Nehemiah caring so much? Here's why he cared about the Sabbath. Because what God was saying is this, you need to learn how to rest. Because all the Israelites ever knew when they were in captivity in Egypt was this. You ready? Slavery. All they knew was work. They had no idea how to rest. And here's what happens when we make work our life. Here's what happens. We lose our soul. What is it Jesus said? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? What good is it for a man to work 80, 90 hours a week and to lose his soul? Work is not a curse. Actually, work is a gift from God. The problem is this, when we make work our God, that's when we begin to lose our soul. When Nehemiah comes up to him and he says, you guys 
have forgotten the Sabbath, what he's meaning is this. It's not about you just have to keep the Sabbath and that's one more thing you have to do. The power of the Sabbath was this. The Sabbath kept you. One of the most spiritual things you and I can do is this. You ready? This will be deep. Take a nap. Right? You're like, I love this church. They told me to go take a nap. No, I'm serious. One of the most spiritual things you can do, turn off your phone. Rest. I love Rich Velotis' book. It's called The Deeply Formed Life. He has a chapter, or a couple chapters about Sabbath. This quote, I had to just stop and pause a little bit. Listen to what he says about the Sabbath. He says this. He says, the Sabbath is not just rest from making things. It's rest from the need to make something of ourselves. See, it's the Sabbath that allows you to quit making yourself on Instagram. It's the Sabbath that allows you to turn off Facebook and not care about the comments and the likes. Don't live for likes. They'll let you down. Live for God's work in your life. This is how we finish well. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this. I love what Paul says about this. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you feel like your wheels are just spinning and you're not getting anywhere, you can have confidence today. Why? Not because of you, not because of me, not because of anything else, but because of the commitment of Jesus Christ, the confidence of Jesus Christ, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on, will carry it on to completion and to the day of Christ Jesus. See, you have a Savior who is committed to doing a good and holy work in us. This is what the resurrection means. The resurrection means this, that we get to trade in our exhaustion for rest. That God, what you completed on the cross and what you did when you rose again changed everything. What we celebrate, we cultivate. What do you need to celebrate more of Jesus in your life today? What do you need? Maybe it is just time to go hang with friends. And you've let your schedule dominate you. You've let things overwhelm you. And God is saying, I'm calling you back to cultivating my work in your life as your life's work. It's our life's work. God's work in our life, which leads us to this third thing. One, not only do we have the words of God become more important than the word of man, and not only do we allow our life's work to be God's work in our life, it's this third thing, that we make relational decisions based on our loving God. That our relationships reflect the love of God. That's what the Israelites went back to. Once Nehemiah left, what happened was this. They just started kind of doing whatever they wanted with their relationships. I, I know sometimes we hear about this within Scripture. We go, oh, God doesn't want us to have sex before marriage and this and that. And he just wants to take all of our fun and stuff like that. And I'm just like, time out. Do you know who created sex, right? You know, that's God, right? He's not trying to take your fun. What he's trying to do is this. You ready? He wants you to finish well. He wants 
your marriage to finish well. He wants your heart to finish well. Even non-Christians agree that every couple wants exclusivity. What people want is this, I want you to be faithful to me. Why is that? Because that's what God has put in our souls. I mean, how do we finish well in our marriages? We finish well by allowing the love of God to complete our marriages. I found it fascinating here when he brought up Solomon, when Nehemiah said, was it not because of these marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? And then he goes on to say this, among the many nations, there was no king like him. But then he says this, he was loved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel, but he was led into sin by foreign women. God loved him. See, the good news for you and I today is this, God loves us. How do we love our spouse? How do we stay at peace when maybe we're single in this place and we don't want to be single? It is the love of God. And when you and I celebrate the love of God, what happens is the love of God gets cultivated in our marriage. The love of God gets cultivated in our singleness. You're not looking for somebody to complete you. You know Christ completes you. And you are secure in that relationship. The other thing is this, this is why we need the love of God to finish well in our relationships is because the next generation is impacted by our relationships. Do you notice what it said here? He said this, he said half of the children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. You know who's impacted when we don't finish well? The next generation. You know how you finish well and you make a lasting impact? You allow the love of God, the love of God, to transform everything about you. Here's what's amazing is this. All throughout the New Testament, you don't see a rebuilding of walls, but what you see is this, a rebuilding of people. What's powerful is that passage when Jesus told Peter, upon this confession, I will build my church. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to build. Peter, you're going to be a broken man. But when you live and you point to me and your life is about me, I will build your life. And then Paul gets it, a man who actually killed Christians, gets invited into the party. And unlike other Pharisees who said no to Jesus, Paul says yes to Jesus. And what he does is this, he gets to write half of the New Testament. A man who's a murderer, a murderer who has wandered away from the ways of God, gets his life turned around. And then he says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work, will carry it on to completion. And all of this comes into the fullness in John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus summarizes how you and I finish well. When he was on the cross, this is what he said. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, let's say it out loud together, it is finished. And let's say it out loud one more time. You ready? It is finished. You know how we finish well? It is finished. 
everything that we've longed to cultivate is found on that cross. And when you and I celebrate what Christ did on that cross, when you and I celebrate the resurrected Savior, here's what happens. He begins to cultivate. He begins to rebuild the broken things in you and I. I know tonight as we've talked about a number of different things, as we've talked about how we've listened to other people's opinions more than God's, as we've talked about how maybe we've made the wrong choices in our relationships, maybe how we've made work, our life. Jesus is saying this over and over again. When I studied this, I didn't know this until Bible college, I had a professor tell me this. He said, now, Nathan, this, is, this phrase here, it is finished, is in the perfect tense. And I just looked at him and I went, hmm, yes. He said, you have no idea what that means. No, I don't, I do not. I'm not gonna lie at Bible college. <laughs> he said, the perfect tense means this that what was once started there has never stopped. That when Jesus says it is finished, it wasn't just for that moment, but he was beginning a brand new work that would never stop. Today, where do you need him to rebuild your life? Where do you need him to rebuild your life? You have the savior of the world who has done all of the construction, who has poured out all of the grace and just simply says this, would you let me lead you to the party? Would you let me cultivate in you what you can't cultivate? And here's what I, this is all I need you to do. You ready? This is the cool thing for you and I today is this. You ready? Just celebrate him. Just celebrate him. Here in a moment, we're gonna take communion. We're gonna take the bread and the juice. And what I wanna invite you during this time is this, it's a moment for you and I to confess, God, here's where I need you. God, here's where I've missed it. But I'm not just gonna confess what I've done wrong. What I'm gonna do, second thing is this, is I'm gonna celebrate what God, you have done right. That Jesus, your cross, it covers everything that I've done wrong. We confess and we celebrate. We confess, and we celebrate. And what happens is God cultivates in us through the power of his spirit, a work that only he could do. What I'm gonna invite you to do here in a moment, I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna invite you to take the bread and the juice. I'm gonna invite you just to celebrate him. If you need to confess, or maybe as we've talked about this, maybe some sin has come back up in your mind and in, in your heart from the past. Here's what's gonna happen in this moment. This is a moment for you to be reminded once again that Christ has covered that sin, that he has freed you from that sin. You just celebrate him. And then what we're gonna do is this. We're gonna sing a couple songs. You guys all right with that? We're gonna celebrate tonight. We're gonna take communion and then we're gonna celebrate. Let me pray for us right now and we'll do those two very things. Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus, you came in into the complexity of our life. Father, sometimes we feel like we're the only ones who have to figure out work or we're the only ones who have to figure out our relationships or God, we're the only ones who, who have to be smart enough or know it all, but Father, you've not asked any of that from us. All you have asked from us is to follow you. 
And so, Father, I just pray today for all of us, myself included, that, God, we would follow you more than the opinions of anybody else. That, Father, we would follow you in our work. That, Father, we would follow you into the rest that, God, I know for a lot of people in this room, we deeply need rest for our souls. Jesus, you said it. Come to me, all of you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus, we need your rest today. We celebrate you today. Father, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our dating, in our singleness, Jesus, we put you first. God, would you heal marriages today? Would you make men in this room men of courage and conviction of you by your power of the Spirit? And God, would you remind women of their dignity and honor as daughters of you? And Jesus, we only can celebrate this truth because of what you've done. The faithful one, the one who went to the cross. Jesus, today, would we celebrate you well? Would we lift your name well for all that you've done for us? Jesus, by your power, may we finish well. Amen. Let's take communion and then we'll worship together.